that, we are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2 today. And uh, feel free to open up there. We are in one of the most quoted passages in 1 Peter. Uh, and it is a phenomenal one. It is so important for us, and I'm so grateful. We talked about the sovereignty of God and the providence of God. Man, he has been so faithful as we've been walking through Scripture together. Can you guys believe this, by the way? I, over a year ago, well before any COVID even talk had come along, by God's grace, the Lord led our leadership team into uh, a study on Daniel. And so we started Daniel the very first day we were <laughs> kicked out of the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, and then we started First Peter. Again, both of these books were not chosen because of COVID. They were something that God set up really from the foundation of the world that we might walk in them right here, right now. And so I am thankful for the opportunity to be walking through this passage today. This passage is one that I believe if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're looking to grow in your discipleship to Jesus, one of the tools that he gives us is memorization, writing God's word on our hearts. This is a phenomenal verse to be memorizing. This is a phenomenal verse to be able to come back to for it touches on so many pieces. It touches on our identity. It touches on who God is and what he's accomplished through his son. It touches on our purpose and it also reminds us that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves even though there's a you that is filled throughout here it's a plural you so it's it's the southern draw it's y'all more specifically it's the church and so i'm honored to be walking through this passage this morning and it's a joy and a privilege we i'm gonna Lead us in prayer now for God. I, I feel like I even started praying already. What a joy and privilege it is to proclaim your excellencies, to proclaim your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you through all the study and preparation. This is your day. This is your church, King Jesus. And I ask by your grace that you would teach through me this morning. Would you prepare all of our hearts and our minds to receive from you? I also pray specifically over our children this morning. God, we pray that, that even what we walk through this morning, that God, you would be implanting things that have taken maybe a long time for us, maybe who are older, to get out. And so, Lord, I pray that there would be a fresh willingness to hear that Holy Spirit as our kids are drawing and writing and engaging, the Holy Spirit that you would be also drawing them to yourself, that you would be revealing to them through your word. We give you this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So First Peter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may declare, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the kingdom, excuse me, not into the kingdom, but into the marvelous light, which is the kingdom. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're going to read this again. You, actually, we're going to do this. We're actually going to say this together. Sadly, this isn't something that we do as as often as I like, but we're going to read this and say this out loud together. You are a chosen race. Say it with me. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you did not receive mercy, but now have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we're going to be looking at four crucial identity markers of the church. And so if you're a note taker, there's four identity markers. And this is where we're going to look at the first one. But as we do, keep in mind, like we talked about before, this you is plural. It is not singular. This is for all followers of Jesus Again, more specifically for the church, and this does have implication then on us and our personal identity as well. But we start with a chosen race. You are a chosen race. This is interesting because Peter's writing to uh, an interesting group of people. He's, He's writing, do you guys remember what region he's writing to? What's the region? Asia Minor, nailed it, gold star. It's modern-day Turkey. And is this one people group that he's writing to? No, it's many. It's Jew and Gentile alike. People who are in exile. You are a chosen race. Race is an interesting thing. Can you control what race you are? No, you can't control what race you are. You also can race be singular. In the sense of, can one person be their own race? No, race is a people. It's multiple. But what's interesting here, what Peter is doing, and this is so multi-layered and I love it, is he is saying something that is incredibly radical. Because everybody that he's writing to, do they have a race? Yes. They're going to have a lineage. They're going to have a place of origin. Are they all Jews? No. But what Peter's doing here is he, to the people of God, the dispersed elected ones who are in exile, He is calling them a chosen race. In 1 Peter 1, we are reminded that you're born again into this living hope. And when you put your faith in Jesus and follow him, you are born again into legitimately a new category of human. You are now a Christ follower. You are part of a new race. And on top of that, and perhaps most significantly what Peter is doing here, 
is Peter is bringing them not into a new story, but an old story. Each of these four identity markers that we're going to be walking through are explicitly markers that were reserved solely for the nation of Israel. But instead, here in the New Covenant, these identity markers are being expanded to include all peoples. Scott McKnight says this about this section. He says, there's no passage in the New Testament that more explicitly associates the Old Testament terms for Israel with the New Testament church than this one. I'm going to read for you a few passages. Feel free to jot them down in your notes and look at them later. And these are going to, as you'll see, they're going to be touching on all four of these identity markers that we are going to be looking at. All that we're doing here is, again, highlighting Peter does this so well because this gospel which is being preached, some can talk about it being new. It's actually not new. It is very old. This is part of the promise of God of old that all peoples would come to know him. And so we get to see this in many places in the Old Testament. I'm going to highlight just a few. It says this in Exodus 19. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and just contextually, this is right before the Ten Commandments are given. Uh, and he says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Isaiah 43, 20, and 21. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I will give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So what's happening here in 1 Peter 2 is Peter is saying that the church in Asia Minor and thereby now us extended, you and I, we the church, Those in which Jesus died for and released into the world, we are a chosen race. We are a chosen race. Eric highlighted this idea of being chosen, that that God has chosen us. He has called us. It's him who has done it. But we are a chosen race. So often in the United States, in particular, it's all about me, Jesus, and my personal relationship with him. And our personal relationship with Jesus matters. But what he's saying is our temptation in this passage is just to make it all about me. But Peter is trying to invite them into a much bigger story. One which began all the way in the garden in which God gives his first commission to humanity in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. 
where he calls them and challenges them and releases them to co-rule the earth together. And then in Genesis 3, we see that broken and shalom is broken. And yet in Genesis 3.18, we see a promise that there is one who will come. There is a seed from the woman that will come. And he will crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent will bite his heel. That is the promise of Jesus coming. And ever from that moment, God in his grace and his sovereignty has been providing opportunity for people to be in relationship with him, in covenant, has said, with him. And what Peter is saying here is, friends, you have heard this story of old. We once thought that this promise, that these blessings, they only wore for Israel. But the reality now, through the finished work of Jesus, is that the door or the veil legitimately has been torn down and the opportunity to step in no matter what race you are, whether you're male or female, no matter where you've come from, the door is now wide open. And like we see in John 1, to those who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. We are a new race. We are a new race. And we need to hear that right now, don't we? We need to hear this. We need to believe this. Are we part of a new race? And again, it's not necessarily new. This is God's heart forever. That we would be a covenant people attached to him. And I could keep going and going on this, but I must keep going because we've got three other character traits that we're looking at. We are a chosen race. Not just me. We are a chosen race. That would be exciting enough. But next, y'all are a royal priesthood. Y'all are a royal priesthood. This in the first century would be absolutely nuts. This would be absurd. This would be close to people thinking this is heresy. But here in the States, we, have, we don't understand either one of these phrases very well. We don't understand royalty. In fact, I'm curious for you, when you hear the words royalty, what are thing, what's the first thing, what's the first word that jumps out of your mind when you hear the word royalty? What are the first things that come out? Just shout it out. The queen. <coughs> you guys all watch too much Netflix. <laughs> Just teasing. Pure. What else? Anything else? What? S- separate, elevated. Inbred, yikes. (laughs) But royalty is not something we're super familiar with, right? The closest thing, but it pales in comparison, and I I feel like I shouldn't even mention it, but it's like celebrityism in our culture. But it pales in comparison. Similar to race, how in the first century are you royal? Do you earn royalty? You're born into it, by and large, with some exceptions, right? You can be knighted. But we don't really have this concept of royalty. Have any of you guys seen Heath, oh, not Heath Ledger, well, uh, what is the movie? Uh, A Knight's Tale. Anybody seen A Knight's Tale? It's a great one. It's on Netflix. I know I just made fun of everybody for watching it. Uh, But if you're folding laundry... 
Go for it. Give it a shot. In this, in this movie, A Knight's Tale, it, it kind of gives us this silly little picture of what it looks like to be born into nobility. There's this guy, William Thatcher, uh, who is uh, born of a, of a poor Thatcher. <laughs> uh, and his dad gives him in a kind of pledge, in indentured servitude, to a knight, to somebody who is royal. And he challenges his son to change his stars. Meaning, um, I see free son... What this world says that you can never change and things can never get better, that's baloney. We believe it can happen. And again, this isn't gospel-based or anything like this in the story, but the story goes on, and in the, in the movie, you know, Heath Ledger's knight that he's taking care of or whatever, he's in a jousting competition, and somehow he dies. Classic story. Um, and then Heath Ledger decides, well, these guys all have a bunch of armor on, so I'm going to put on that armor, and I'm going to take his place breaking all types of laws, and he loved it so much and realized his passion to be this knight who, can, who combats in these jousting competitions. And so he runs into Chaucer, and it's this fun old story. They change papers and pretend, and they try and lie and make their way into becoming nobility. He goes on, and he competes in all of these ways, and he's victorious, and people love him. He's, and again, this is all fake, but it's a fun story. Now, Eventually, what do you think happens with this character? Of course, the movie wouldn't be the movie if, if it wasn't found out that he was a counterfeit, that he was lying, that he actually wasn't a knight at all. He's in the biggest jousting competition of the year, and there's like all of this energy and emotion that's built up, and then all of a sudden it comes out that he's not who he said he is, and he gets stripped of all of his titles, he gets stripped of his armor, he gets put in the stocks and gets made fun of. He gets stuff thrown at him. All of these things go on, and everybody's mocking him. And they're, you can't change. You can't become royalty. Who do you think you are? That sort of thing. And he just becomes the laughing stock of everybody. But then, this kind of cloaked, mysterious figure, this Prince Edward, comes forward. While everybody's mocking him, while William Thatcher is in the stocks, and he comes by, and he kneels down beside the man, and they have a little chit-chat. And then he tells the guards, he pulls off the cloak in the dramatic fashion, and everybody, <gasps> and falls down, all that, you know, fun stuff. And then the guards come forward, he tells them, take him off, and then he, the, the, the future prince obviously makes up this story. He's like, my personal people have gone in and done these records, they've done their research, and we found that way, way, way back in the family line, he's actually royalty, and he kneels down before him, and he dubs him Sir William. And that moment where it's no longer fake royalty, it has become real royalty to William, his life changes, and you can feel the energy in the movie, and all things change, and then he goes out to fight, and then he like knocks the dude over, and yeah, everybody's excited. Yeah, yeah. Now you, I felt like Andy Dwyer just explaining every scene of a movie. Uh, however, all that I'm trying to say is we don't understand royalty. We don't understand what it's like. We don't understand how this could be actually so disruptive. One of the New Testament scholars that I, was re that I was engaging with as we were preparing for this message talked about that perhaps this might be one of the primary reasons why the church faced the persecution it faced almost above anything else, not even their worship of Jesus necessarily. It was because they believed that their identity was changed. 
that they collectively were not who their parents were, that they collectively were not what their job was, that they were not collectively whatever the world said they were, but they collectively were now royalty because they belonged in the family of the king of the universe. And yet for so many of us, we walk around in shame and in guilt with our heads held low because we are not sure of whom we actually belong. My friends, there are so many of us who are wandering around like William Thatcher who are pretending. And Jesus said, my blood has made it that you no longer have to pretend. That you can step forward into the Holy of Holies, which comes next to this part, because we are not just royalty. We are royalty with a job. We are priests. We are a priesthood. Not only do we get Daddy's name and the inheritance. I was talking with Philip earlier. We don't understand the Ephesians 1, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. It's part of our royalty. But we are not silver spooned. Or sometimes we might be. We have a job to do. For you are not just royalty. You, the collective, you all, we are a royal priesthood. We are a royal priesthood. Again, many... Some of you may have grown up, and when you hear the word priest, your the hair on your neck stands up. And I'm so sorry if that's you. Again, that's no shame or guilt. That is just whenever people who are humans who are fallen are in positions of power, there are times when that power is abused, and sadly it has massive ramifications. But this picture that Peter is giving, an identity that he's reminding the church and of is that they, just as Aaron was given this Levitical line of being a priesthood, what did the priest do? Do you guys remember what the priest would do? Anyone? What's one thing that the priest would do? Perform sacrifices on their own behalf or for the behalf of who? People. And that would include themselves. What else would they do? They would pray. They would intercede. On whose behalf? Just themselves? Other people. Again, as Americans, our tendency is to pray on whose behalf? Ours. You are royalty. You have a king who is unlike any other. You have his name. You have the inheritance. You even have the deposit of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And praise God that we serve a God that that's not just for my benefit, but it is for others' good. And honestly, if you are receiving it just for your benefit, you are not receiving it. Because anything good that God does to us, he wants to do through you. The priesthood existed because they were the people that God had chosen to be the mouthpiece for him and to be the mediator between God and the people. 
But now that is no longer reserved to one person or a few people. That is for y'all, the priesthood of all believers. And it's for us, and then it's also for them. It's for us, and it's for them. Second Corinthians 5, Paul gives us a reminder of this. As he's talking about how God is making his appeal through us to one another and to the world. For we are his ambassadors, messengers, ministers, priests of reconciliation. This is our identity, friends and Next, number three, sorry, I'm getting a little worked up. You are a holy nation. Once again, you guys, if we, we shared all of these Old Testament passages, you are a holy nation. This, there's no getting around any of this, by the way. These are like direct <laughs> moments throughout Scripture where God has said these things of Israel that Peter now is saying, this is the church. This is the church. This is you all. You are a holy nation. You are a holy nation. Just as we were born again to a living hope and a new version of humanity, we are part of a holy nation. And friends, I hope this isn't offensive to you. I hope scripture has already offended you enough to know that this holy nation is not America. And I'm not making a political statement. I'm, this is a theological truth. The you are a holy nation. Who is the you? Who is it? All of us say it. The church. Y'all. We are a holy nation. And again, I'm, I'm going to mention this because my church, and, and there's nothing wrong in particular with this, but it has a tendency to make this idea of a holy nation so foreign as if we think of a holy nation as a perfect one or as a, a spotless one. And again, Theologically, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, that is true. But what Peter's getting at more than that is, is the basis of holy is, isn't even perfect. The basis of holy is what? It's set apart. You are a set apart nation. You are a set apart nation. And who leads that nation? Who leads that nation? Sunday school, Jesus. Jesus leads that nation. It is his kingdom. You are a holy nation. You are a holy nation, a set-apart people. Do we believe it? Do we press into it? You are set apart from all other nations of the world. This doesn't mean we do not engage in the place we currently reside. We got to see we see Paul do that as he appeals to Caesar at different moments, but it does mean that we are part of the kingdom of God and that is our home, that is our allegiance. Everything else comes underneath that. We need to be reminded of that right now. Fourth identity piece, we are a people of his own possession. Again, who, who is the people? 
We are the church. That's, that's us, y'all. It's the church. We are people of his own possession. This could sound kind of weird, right? Potentially. I mean, we don't really like to talk about, like, most of our experience with people possessing other people, Not that generally doesn't go well, right? But it does go well if the one who possesses us is good. If the one who possesses us is proved himself over and over again to be faithful. This verse brings to my remembrance um, a a beautiful experience that we got to have some time ago. We were walking through, we were praying through deliverance with a friend. And uh, they were struggling with some identity pieces, and there were many lies that were coming their way. And we spent some time in fervent prayer together, walking through, confessing sin together. It was absolutely beautiful. And we got to a point towards the end, and we were just walking through, kind of the, asking the question, Lord, is there anything else that we need to walk through? Or are, are there, is there any more darkness around that we need to engage with? And, and God speaks to this woman in a really beautiful way. He speaks to her oftentimes in pictures. And Jesus appears to her many times in the form of a lion, similar to Aslan. And, and what's really, really interesting is during this moment as we were praying All of a sudden, she got really, really anxious. And in her mind's eye, she saw darkness closing in around her and these voices speaking. She's mine, 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 she's mine. And the darkness was like closing in. And then almost as if it were the last moment, Jesus in the picture of a lion breaks forward and he roars, She's mine! And the darkness fled. Because she is his possession. We are his possession, and we belong to that one that we sung about, the lion and the lamb. You belong to him, and it's not a bad thing. It is a good thing. We saw last week you are a precious stone to him. You are treasured by him. And I legitimately think that there's some of you potentially in this season that we've been walking through and there's been voices, whether from this world or from the outside, from within you, where there's these lies that have come along and you've heard the voice of your mind, your mind, your mind, your mind, your mind, your mind, your mind. And you need to hear the roar of the lion that says, no, you're mine. You're mine. And watch the darkness flee. For he has called us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we might do what? That we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. This is the mission of the church, my friends. 
And this proclamation, this pro- you cannot proclaim without words. I know so many of us misquote or have fallen in love with a misquote of St. Francis of Assisi, which says, preach Jesus, preach Jesus, preach Jesus, and when necessary, use words. That's nothing he ever actually said. It's kind of a neat quip, and I agree with some of it. But proclaiming the excellencies of God is actually that. You proclaim it with your mouth. And it leads to right living also. We proclaim with our mouths and we live a righteous life, both in which act in a symphony and harmony together to do what? To show, to be priests, to show this world who and what Jesus actually looks like. Earlier on in this chapter, Peter warns of those who will despise us. That just as Jesus was rejected, there will be those that despise you as well. But our hope, the reason, the reason we want people to despise us isn't because we vote for a certain person. It's not because uh, we do something strange. We want people to despise us because we do this. Because we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into the marvelous light. But friends, some of the question remains is, do we believe these things to be true for us? The first century church got in so much trouble because they believed this to be true. Do we? Do we believe that we are part of a new humanity? Do we believe that we are part of royalty and that we have been given a task and a title as priests to declare, to point, to pray, to intercede and show and demonstrate to this world who and what God is like? Do we believe that we are part of a holy nation? You guys, if we believed these things truly down in the core of our being, and I just want you to know every single one of us has room to grow in this. All of us have room to grow in this. But as we believe these things to be true more and more and more, guess what you won't be able to help doing? Tell them to proclaim it. To shout it, to demonstrate it. William Thatcher couldn't wait to tell his dad that he had changed his stars. Do we live in an anticipation to share with others that our future and our destiny has been changed by the only one that can, and his name is Jesus Christ, the one who was born in Nazareth, who lived and died on the cross on our behalf in order that we might be redeemed and saved. Proclaim his excellencies, for we were once not a people, but now we are God's people. We're his. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have. This is who we are, church. And our invitation is to continue to step into this. Worship team, come on up. We could look at our current situation and we could make loads of excuses, but no matter what is happening currently in our lives between the pandemic, the election, racial tension, all of the things that are happening in our time and place right now, these, there is nothing that makes it impossible for these character traits to be not true for us, you guys. We can press into this fully here and now 
So would we believe that we are a new people, a new race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we belong to God? We once didn't receive mercy, but now we have. And because of that, we now live for him and his glory, not for our own gain.